Good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning to worship. We are going to continue message series called The Really Big Picture, and we've been looking at the big picture of uh, what God's doing in the world and some major priorities to focus on. Neil looked at the number one priority last night that shapes all the other things that we do. I mean, last week, last night. Were you here last night? I wasn't here last night. <laughs> Just checking, seeing if you're awake. Um, anyway, he looked at last week at, at our number one priority, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But before we dive in, I'd like to update you on the campus launch. Basically, Church in the Valley is a group of people who has been changed by the love of God as we've connected with the Lord Jesus, and he's made the way to do that. We, we've, we're getting changed. We're being changed. One day when we die, we'll be uh, perfect, but in the, in the middle of life, we are, we are being changed. God is, is making us who he in, in originally intended us to be. And we've found that uh, what he does in you and through you is, is amazing, and so we want to share that. So what, what we're doing is we're launching a campus in Alhambra with the intent of being able to help other more more people come to know Christ and experience the, the blessing that is and the changes he makes in, in us as we follow him. So anyway, we, we're launching this campus. We've been talking about that. That may not be new to you. But Thursday night, we're able to go. Some of the leaders of the teams that are going to be setting up and doing things on Sunday morning and then a couple of the staff members, we all went and checked the campus out on Thursday night at Keppel High, which is where we're going to be meeting. Pretty cool. It's going to be fun. Uh, really neat room, massive room, plenty of room to, to grow in the auditorium there. And uh, so we're working on ramping up there, getting things started up, and making adjustments here in the Diamond Bar campus as well. So I'd, I'd appreciate it if you continue to pray. One of the things we're doing is we're asking God to uh, help us pull together $75,000 for the campus launch. And we just started raising the money, and here's where we're at. We're a little less than halfway there. We're at 35619 And uh, we're going to need to start making purchases and everything. So I'd like to ask you, if you would, just pray about chipping in and giving to the campus launch. And uh, that will allow us to connect with more people, help them come to know Christ and begin to grow and experience the blessing and changes that he brings as well. There's an update on that. That's kind of one of the things going on in the really big picture at Church in the Valley. Uh, today in the message, we're, we're talking about the higher standard that we're to live by. And I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of a normal, ordinary guy. I don't consider that I, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't born, uh, into, luxury or anything, just kind of a normal household. So when I hear live by a higher standard, there's one way that my mind could go with that, which is I'm going to live by a higher standard. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not a snooty person. So if there's anything that ever, I, I try not to be anyway. So if there's anything that ever sounds like a little snooty, I sort of react to it. And I want to explain what I mean by living by a higher standard. 
I don't mean that you, you set your standards and you look down on everybody else who doesn't live by these standards. It's not what I'm talking about. Every one of us has a standard to live by. And I went to the dictionary, and the number three and four definitions of the word standard is what I'm talking about. Number three, something established by authority, custom, or general consent as a model or example, like a criterion. Quite slow by today's standards, we might say that. Number four is something set up and established by authority as a rule for the measure of quantity, weight, extent, value, or quality. Now, this is what I'm talking about. All of us have a model and a measure that we use that kind of gets constructed in our minds and in our hearts. And when we face a specific situation, we draw on that standard for what we're going to do, for what we're going to say, how we're going to respond to the people in the situation that we're facing. That's how I'm using it. We use our standard uh, for a measure that we measure our choices against, what we're going to pursue, how we're going to use our abilities, our level of income, the status that we're trying to achieve, our level of luxury. That, that's, this is our standard. We have this standard of living that we're striving for. And when a circumstances brings about a need to respond, we measure our choice against a standard that we've constructed in our mind. In America and much of the world, I'm finding, uh, the standard is often built by our peers, our close friends, our family members, the people that are close to our heart. They make choices. They have a standard of living. They pursue things. They use their abilities in a certain ways. They have a luxury quotient. And that, that all comes together to help form our standard. The media has a major influence on our standard. I'm finding that. You know, the media is a very powerful influence on, on the standards and the, the way that we look at life. I was just in Turlock this week, which is, I don't know if you ever heard of Turlock. It's in the middle of the state. I really like it. It's a cute, very, very nice, cute town. It has, at least when I married Cindy, this is my wife's hometown. When I married her, it had more churches per capita than anywhere in the United States. So it's like a little Bible Belt right in the middle of California. And it's a fascinating place, beautiful little city. What's fascinating is it's the meth capital of the United States. So it's this quaint little town, a lot of churches, but it's the meth capital. The media and our culture are just driving things that we have to guard against. This happens. I was in India earlier this year, and in a group counseling session and give and take, listening to questions being answered, and the framework, I was amazed at how these questions could, they're the same questions, partly because we're people. But the way they were asked, it, it helped me to realize the Indian folks are being shaped by American media. What's going on? Interesting. Fascinating. So we're shaped by the people we let close to our heart, by the media. Being cool is a very high value. I gave up on that a long time ago. I was... I think I was probably cool once or twice, but I'm not quite sure. I just quit trying because I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. But anyway, that's a high value. I'm sure in me there's still this sense that I, I want to be cool somehow, even though I've given up. <laughs> so we have this, these standards in this way that are shaped. Now, we also have 
standards that we use in terms of moral decisions. And the standard is, the normal standard is this. Be true to your inner self. That's, our nor- that's what makes sense to people. This is what makes sense in America. Be true to your inner self. Shakespeare said this. To thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not be false to any man. This is the idea. Be true to yourself, to your inner self. That idea is echoed in movies and other media. I I checked a few uh, theme songs from animated movies over the last decade plus, a little bit. I remember watching this one with uh, one of my kids. I think one of them was too old to be into this at the time, but I, I think in 99, we were watching Tarzan. I loved Tarzan, the animated movie, just because he could surf the branches. Okay, you, can't, you can't do that in real life, but he's like surfing the branches, and they're singing the theme song. I'm listening to the theme song, and this is what it says. Trust your heart, let fate decide to guide these lives we see. And no, I don't want to trust fate. I want to trust God. I want to trust the Father who loves me and, and sees all. So anyway, that's, that's one of the themes. Doesn't it sound a lot like Shakespeare? Finding Nemo, 2003, Beyond the Sea is the theme song. We'll meet beyond the shore, we'll kiss just like before, which frankly, as a father of a daughter, I don't appreciate mentioning that. But anyway, you know, seven, eight-year-old girl, we're talking about kissing. I don't like that. We'll meet beyond the shore, we'll kiss just like before, happy we'll be beyond the sea, and never again I'll go sailing. I know beyond the doubt my heart will lead me there soon. This is all over the media. This is, this is the idea. Be true to your inner self, and you will end up where you want to be. This is our moral standard. This is, this is it. I've discovered, here's what I've discovered about my inner self. If I follow my heart exclusively, I end up in a heap of trouble. I have had some real cringe moments, and I'm going to share one with you, and even as I think about telling you about it, it makes me cringe. I don't know if you've ever been there, but your heart leads you to do something, and you look back, and you think, oh. And in fact, maybe as soon as the words come out of your mouth or you take the action, you're thinking, what was Anyway, when I was about seven or eight, I remember... I had to sell, I think it might have been in Pop Warner football or something, I had to sell raffle tickets. And so I went through the neighborhood, and one of the moms of one of my really good friends in the neighborhood, she was very kind when I sold this ticket. I mean, just really very kind. I think she could say, I'm an introvert. I just really appreciate it. It was a lot easier selling to her. So I go home, and I'm thinking later, and I thought, that was so easy to sell that. I think I'm going to take some stuff back to her, see if she wants to buy it, and then I can make some money. Okay, does that make, does that make you cringe? This is what's going on in my heart anyway. So I take, I take my wagon. This is the picture I have. I don't know if I actually did this, but I take my little wagon full of junk, <laughs> one of which the thing I remember was a, a glass pig piggy bank. And I said, I said Mrs. Gonzalez, would you, would you like to buy some of this stuff? I'm just trying to make a little extra money. And the look on her face told me that was a bad move. <laughs> my, my heart wanted to take advantage of her, 
to, for my own good. I thought, hey, I made, you know, she helped me reach my goal of raising money for whatever. I want to I wanna get some for myself. Horrible. My, my heart is a mixture of good and bad, nobility and cruelty, and it can deceive me. So it's a very dangerous thing to follow my heart exclusively. The Bible says your heart's just like that as well. It says that all of our hearts are like this. We're a mix of things. There's a part of us, there's a part of our hearts that really wants to do the right thing and do well and do good and bless people. But there's a heart that we want what we want. God knows this. He wants us to guard against what we settle in our hearts, what we allow to settle there, the ideas, the goals, the standards that we settle. Another problem with this approach is that God's standards apply whether we live by them or not. It's, it's sort of like um, if you have a tall glass of clear liquid and you, you believe it's water and you gulp it down and it turns out to be clear poison, it doesn't matter what you believe it is. It's going to impact you. Just like the other day, I, I made some coffee. Friday night, I made some coffee. And uh, made the coffee, put my creamer stuff in that I normally do in it. It was acting a little different. And I took a drink, and it turned out that my wife had put vinegar in the coffee machine to clean it. That was, it didn't matter what I believed it was. It was vinegar with coffee, and oh, it was horrible. I could still taste it. Still sort of makes me gag right now. It doesn't matter what you believe. This is how it is with our standards. It doesn't really matter what we believe is right in our inner person. It matters what God says is right. His standard applies no matter what the situation. So what he does for us in the scripture is he puts a, a warning label on the world standards. In first, or first John 2, he says this, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We're going to look in this message at what God does in us to help us live the life that he wants us to live. If you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, you'll, you'll find out the help he brings for making you into the person that he wants and the blessing it is. You'll get some key ideas of, of what he does if you give your life to him. In the really big picture, what God's going to do, according to this passage, is he's going to lead you away from the things that are temporary, the things that fade, that rust, that lose their value, toward the things that last for eternity. And he's going to give you, since there are things that last, it gives you a solid foundation for living today. In this series, what we're trying to do is give you the big picture of what it means to follow Christ or to remind you of that. It's clear from Scripture that what I choose to do today in this situation that I'm facing right now can be written into the big picture of what God's doing in the world. The way I approach living right now 
makes a difference in both the outcome of my life and God's grand purpose in the world. He, he, he connects with us in a relationship because he wants us to enjoy a significant life as we, he uses us to bless the people around us. Last week, Neil showed us how to live for the things that really matter and how to put God number one in your schedule. And as you do that, he takes care of the little things and they, they tend to fit in around the big things. If you put the big rocks in first, that's, that's important. You carve out that time in your schedule for God and you allow him to speak to you. If you'll do that, then he will begin to shape your mind and your heart and wrap it around the things that are important to him. And then he will meet you there. He'll speak to you. He'll help you. And then he will get you moving with the guidance that you need. If you put a lot of those days together where you're, you're giving God the best day, part of your day, you're giving him number one priority, he gives you what you need to swim against the current of culture and standards and experience God's blessing and purpose. Today I want to look at how God gives us what we need to deal with each situation in a way that honors him. If I get lost, it, it helps me, if I get lost in this area, in the L.A. area, it helps me to bring to mind a mental map of where I am. If I know where the mountains are, if I kind of know where the ocean is, and I can generally get where I want to be. I orient myself by those things. If, I, if I'm not quite sure where I am, <clears throat> God provides a map in the Bible of how to become the person we were meant to be. As you become more and more familiar with the Bible, the reason I don't generally get lost, you put me in a new area, what I tend to do in a car is I start talking to people and I, I pretend I know where I am and then I end up where, <laughs> oh, I waste a lot of time. It's a pain. It's a painful to be, be with me if, if I'm not familiar. But as you become, since I'm familiar with this area, I have that mental map. As you become familiar with the scriptures, God uses that to guide you toward the right things. In the right way. When you give your life to follow Christ and decide to follow him as your leader, some amazing things take place in you. Amazing things. And if you've decided to follow Christ, you've experienced them. He completely changes you from the inside out. Completely. And you don't, you don't become perfect, but... What he does in you begins to work its way out in the way you live your life. And it makes a tremendous difference. And we can live each day knowing that everyday situations are being worked into his plan as we learn to walk by faith. This is what God does. It's amazing. When we choose to follow Christ, we're given a new identity and we make a shift. We make a shift from slaves to children. Galatians 4, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. It's an amazing thing God does when you decide to follow Christ. The major difference between a slave and a child is that a slave is obligated to do what the master is telling them to do. 
A child of a loving father wants to do it. Now, a lot of people have the wrong idea about Christianity. It is not primarily about being religious, going to church, reading the Bible, praying, doing religious stuff, doing kind deeds. It's not primarily about that. It's primarily about getting connected with the God who made you and I and getting into this new relationship as his child that begins to completely change the way you do life. You see, a slave obeys out of fear because they're afraid they're going to get punished. But a child obeys out of love and gratitude. And if you learn the right way of looking at God and you really understand who he is, then you know he accepts you. If you'll admit your sin, turn around from going your own way, you're accepted by him, you you become his child, and out of love and gratitude, then you're motivated to do what pleases him. Now, we don't always, but he's gracious, and it's his grace that begins to change us as he gives us this relationship as child that we don't deserve. Ephesians 2 says it this way, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. He makes us a member of his family. There is only one person who can reach into our hearts and change them. It's God himself. And he does this by changing our identity as a child of God. That radically changes everything. As we stay in touch with him, like Neil was talking about, we give him the time. We carve out that time every week. He, he, he changes us. He gives us what we need. We don't do that out of obligation. We, we don't do it because I think God's going to step on me or I, the day's not going to go well if I don't set that time aside with God. We do it because we want to get to know our Father, the one who loves us, the one who has completely changed my identity. If I rely on God, And his resources that he's given me to live life. Boy, it goes it goes well, it goes good, better than than on my own. If I try by my own effort to live to some higher standard, then I fail. I can't do it. I need God's resources. The Bible and prayer are two of the prime resources God uses to change us. But if I try on my own effort to live to some higher standard, I either have to shift the standard because I don't measure up, or I keep falling short and I pretend I'm not. So I'm not truthful with myself. I have to deny reality in order to convince myself that I'm okay. I have to keep avoiding the truth about me this way. But the way God is, he he loves you. He's willing to accept you right where you are if you'll turn to him. And that melts your heart. And he gives you what you need then to want to please him and honor him. I actually change as I rely on God, not on me. I change as I'm willing to admit my wrong, not ignore it or sweep it under the carpet. 
But because of this new identity, I'm God's child. It's secure. I know that I have this secure relationship. I'm a member of his family. Because of that, I can admit my wrong because he's gracious and kind. So I admit my wrong. And then if I've messed up with somebody, I clear that up. I make it right. I get it straightened out. And then I ask God to fill me and give me the power to do what pleases him. That's how I changed that process right there. I confess my sin. We're, we're going to mess up. We're going to blow it. We need to confess sin, clear things up that need to be cleared up, and then ask God to fill us again and give us the power. That process right there, not my self-effort, not my self-effort, but my, my working out my relationship with my Father in this way. God, there I go again. I said it. Oh, I didn't. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I did that again, God. Father, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you set me on the right path? Would you give me the help I need to make you happy? As I do that, God changes me over and over again. That's a process I I go through day after day. So our new identity helps us shift from slaves to children. It also is a shift from tourists to pilgrims. I don't know if you've ever looked at yourself as a pilgrim, but if you've decided to follow Christ, that's, that's a label you could wear. You may not like the clothes, you know, the, the black and white may not look good on you. But the, the picture in Scripture is that we are pilgrims. Listen to First Peter 2. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. A pilgrim is a traveler or a wanderer in a foreign place. A person who journeys, especially a long distance, to a sacred place as an act of devotion. When you decide to follow Christ, your your mindset should shift from being a tourist who is focused on comfort, convenience, luxury, to being a pilgrim who is focused on the objective and pleasing the one who gave them that objective. That's the shift. When I decide to follow Christ, I become a pilgrim. From that point on to the end of my life, I'm on a journey to please the one who made me and the one who gave me eternal life. This makes a radical shift in my view of everyday situations. Because I want to do the right thing, not the natural thing, not the easy thing or the thing that gives me the advantage. But I want to do the thing that pleases my father. I want to do the thing that pleases God. Because I'm living this life out of devotion to him. Not out of a tourist mentality to gather what I want. I saw an article about some the Facebook employees, you know, Facebook stock has been all over the place. And read an article in the Times this week, and I really felt for the the uh, the employees because this this is the the headline is cancel the mansion. Facebook staffers put on put off dreams for now because when they went public, the stock was way up here. Now it's at a discount, about 50% off, and so. What the article says is people had begun to make life plans and calculations that now they're going to have to adjust. They've had to defer or downsize their dreams for a new home or a car. And frankly, 
I understand the pain of that. You, you, you have something you're looking forward to. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That hurts. That really hurts. But here's the advantage of life as a pilgrim. You need very little to be content. If you really choose the mindset of a pilgrim, you don't need that much to be content. You just need enough to keep stepping along the journey. Just keep taking the steps forward. If I'm a tourist in this life, style points really matter. I need to ride in style. I need the valet. I need the luxury. I need the people serving me. If I'm a pilgrim, the focus of my life is not on comfort, convenience, style points, but it's on pleasing God as I take each step along the journey. As I face this situation right here, what makes him happy? What pleases him? What brings honor to him? Our new identity helps us make that shift from slaves to children, from tourists to pilgrims. It also develops a new sense of loyalty in us, and it shifts our focus from pleasing ourselves to doing good. This is it. As we face the situations we're dealing with every day, we want to do good. Look at Titus 2. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And here's, the, here's a description of his people. They're eager to do what is good. I don't natively wake up and think, I want to do good by everybody I see today. It's just not my bent. I'm usually, I wake up and I think, wow, I've got this list of things to do. I've got this agenda. I've got these goals. Let me see how many people I can get on my bandwagon to help me with those things. I have to make an intentional shift, and I need help in here from God himself to make that shift toward doing good. It's the grace of God that motivates me to do this. His undeserved, unfailing love that melts my heart and shifts me from a self-centered life to a life that's self-controlled and eager to do good by the people that cross my path. That's not my heart. It's not my natural heart of hearts. But this is what God does. He begins to change us to be eager to do good. And as you surrender to him and let him lead you that direction, life has meaning and purpose. And God used each situation. He strings them together and makes your life significant. If I aim to do good one situation at a time, and I rely on God to help me string a bunch of those situations together, over years I look back and life has been meaningful and significant. In the moment, I have the choice. I can't see the whole picture. God can. But if I'm going to look back on a significant life, a meaningful life, I let him use me to do good. I find out what that means to him because he's the father I want to please. What does that mean for my family? How do I, how do I treat my wife or my husband? How do I treat my kids? How, how, what does the father want in the way that I handle my work, my money? 
the decisions I'm facing. What does he want? How, how does that work out? If I will face every situation and let him help me strain together a bunch of situations where I do good, life is significant. That's the big picture. You can see it in whatever you're dealing with right now as you set your heart to do good. Our new sense of loyalty shifts us to focus on doing good and from pleasing people to pleasing the Father. This I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with pleasing people in situations. And Galatians 1.10 says this. It's a good, good verse. I've memorized it. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. When you decide to follow Christ, you decide to live for his approval alone. You live to please him, the Father. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. It is so easy to get tied up in a knot in a situation where you're, where you're trying to please everybody. You're trying to read minds of friends or family members. You're trying to read their minds. You're trying to make some guesses on what's going to make them happy. Difficult to do. Sometimes others have made it very clear what will make them happy, but in your heart of hearts you know to say that or do that wouldn't be right. In that situation, you choose to please the Father. Every situation. That's what it means to follow him. People-pleasing is a trap that keeps you in fear and ties you up in knots. Proverbs 29:25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's not in your listening guide or on the screen, but it'll prove to be a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. God moves us from pleasing people to pleasing the Father. And here's the standard. As children of God, we live to do the Father's will. That's the higher standard. In this situation I'm facing right here, this day, this week, how can I please God? How can I do what he wants? How can I make him happy? Jesus set the pace in this. As he's facing the cross, he didn't want to go through the pain. But he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We have situation after situation where we have to choose that. We have to keep saying, God, you use me here. Help me. I want to do what I want. But I surrender to you, God. If you'll string those situations together, life can be significant. God will use it and weave it into his story in your life, and you will have a life of significance, one situation at a time. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you to think through your next steps. If you would, please take the connection card out of the program. And on the back of that, there's some next steps. Here's some suggestions you can, if you would take this time as the band comes up to complete any information or next steps that I'm suggesting, and then when the offering comes around, you could drop that card in. That'd be great. Here are some suggestions from me, and God may have put some others on your mind. Memorize Luke 22:42. Great thing to pray over and over again to be reminded of. Another step could be to make a radical shift this week and circle one of these. Maybe as I walk through the shifts that God has us make, um, he put one of these on your heart and mind to, to go back to and to pray over and ask his help on. From slave to child, from tourist to pilgrim, 
from doing, uh, pleasing ourselves to doing good and from pleasing people to pleasing God alone? Which shift is on your heart to make, to really focus on today and this week? And then a final step could be, for the first time, I'm deciding to accept Christ as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. If you haven't yet come to that point where you're ready to give your life to him, but you are now, let us know. We'd love to help you in that. We'd love to encourage you in it. God will give you everything you need to live a life of significance as you learn to trust him and walk with him. As you, as you develop that mental map from scripture and as you rely on his Holy Spirit, he will lead you forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word that really does set us free. Help us, God, to have the power to take these steps you've laid on our heart. Help us to learn to please you alone above everything. May you be honored and pleased today as we live our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.